1: Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, hey, hey! Come on in. Welcome
2: back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com, and we're hitting a recruitment heavy this week. Julian Fleming, the five-star receiver from Pennsylvania, will announce his choice of colleges on Friday. And if you are listening to this after Friday and you already know what he picked, listen to it anyway. Because we're not going to get a ton into what he might do. We're going to just talk to people who know him and talk about Julian Fleming as a player. So sometimes I am accused of taking too long to get into the podcast. So how about this? Let me give you a snippet right now of Jim Roth, one of the most successful high school coaches in the history of Pennsylvania high school football multiple, multiple-time state champion at Southern Columbia High School. This is what he says about Julian Fleming, the player he has coached at Southern Columbia for the last three years.
1: But no, he's 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 a unique, unique player. Watching him play in, in youth football and then again in junior high, um, he was always at a different level than the other kids on the field. Uh, just didn't know how, how much that would translate to the high school level. And again, when yep. kids are younger you know, you don't know how they're going to develop in the future and how things are going to, uh, you know, play out with their physical and, and development and their work ethic and their and so forth. But um, he always stayed ahead of the group, came up as a freshman, started as a freshman, and even as a freshman made a lot of big plays right from the start. And so I can remember being in staff meetings during his freshman season saying to our coaches, you know, boy, I, I really think when the, the college is put our film in and see him that he's going to get some attention. Um, so I kind of thought that he would get some attention even at a young age. I never expected him to start getting multiple Division one scholarship offers after his freshman year. That was a little surprising. Yeah. And then it just it just continued right through his sophomore year until it got to the point where you know he basically had his pick of schools. I mean he could go anywhere in the country that he wanted to go to, and um, uh, he's just, a, you know, he's a, he's a once in, like I said, once in a career player, you know, for a coach, even, you know, a long tenure coach like myself, and, you know, when you have a kid that's rated the number one receiver in the country, it's just very few high schools are ever able to say they had a kid at that level, um, so that, you know, that's what he's evolved into, and as impressive as his athletic ability is, and what he can do on the field, just as impressive to me, is the way he's developed uh, in terms of his uh, maturity emotionally, mentally, and the way he's handled this whole thing. And his approach to the game is, is just remarkable because um, he's, not a, he's not a typical wide receiver kind of elite uh individual kind of performer that a lot of these guys become he's still so much a team player and the way he's handled all this attention and all the success is is really impressive he's very mature about everything uh and the way he handles it is is really impressive
2: so that's what we're talking about here Jim Roth has won nine state titles at Southern Columbia Julian Fleming has won a state title every year of his high school career um so far Three straight. Jim Roth was the fastest coach in Pennsylvania high school football history to get to 400 wins. So this is a small town in uh, northeast Pennsylvania where they play great football. And so that's what Julian Fleming is coming from. So I don't think I would be spending a lot of time on Julian Fleming on a podcast if I didn't think he was going to come to Ohio State. Because this is Buckeye talk. It's not Clemson talk. Um, and I'm still finishing a story. It'll be up by Thursday morning on cleveland.com. That Ohio State, Clemson, and Ohio and Penn State. Ohio State, Clemson, Penn State. According to, to Jim Roth when I talked to him. Uh, recruited Julian Fleming harder than anybody in the country. And he has Georgia and Alabama in his final five. Jim Roth was talking about that Alabama rolled out the red carpet for him. But when Ohio State's in this recruiting battle for Julian Fleming, who, again, is the number one rated receiver in the class of 2020, that's really who they're going against. They're going against Penn State in Penn State's backyard, um, and they're going against Clemson as a, a national power that is the number one place to go play offensive football right now. So that is who Ohio State's trying to beat to get this kid who, according to 247 Sports, is the number six overall player in the class of 2020. So let's get right now to a sports writer who knows Julian really well. It's going to help you understand him better here on Buckeye Talk. Joined now by Dan Riley, the sports editor of the Press Enterprise in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, which is where my mother went to college, by the way. So, Dan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Doug, thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. So Dan we're here to dig into Julian Fleming and you basically have been watching him for most of his high school career. When when did it become apparent to people that Julian Fleming had the chance to really be uh something special as a football player?
0: Very early in his career. Uh freshman year even. I mean, the kid stands out. Uh, I mean, you notice Julian in a crowd of people. It's just his stature his his physical demeanor um you see him on the field and you just know that he's capable of doing some special things uh and he's he's really proved that throughout the course of his career now and uh man it's going to be exciting to see him play at the collegiate le- level and and potentially as a pro too i mean he uh i I think he's got everything everything that a a, a national football league team would want would need and uh man, it's really exciting to, to have a kid like that in our
2: coverage area. I'll tell you that. It's very interesting. So this, this Southern Columbia program that he's a part of, I know it's a, a longtime legendary head coach leading the program there. Can you just give, give Ohio State fans a little bit of a background on what that program is like, maybe the kind of football they play and kind of how they're viewed by the high school football fans in your area?
0: Absolutely, uh, Southern. I mean, Southern Columbia is uh, is coached by Jim Ross. Um, he, he's had an incredible career with the Tigers. Uh, he, he's, I believe, seven state championships. Um, you know, he's he's really racked up you know numerous career wins, and he he's he makes it all work. Uh, without you know Coach Jim Ross, he uh, yeah, a, a lot of the success that Southern has had wouldn't be possible. So he's been a nice mainstay and he's been very consistent um, in terms of the way he coaches, what he preaches, you know, and nothing, nothing changes with coach Roth Um, win or lose. And they very, they, they don't lose very often, but when they do, you know, you don't see him get too high or too low. Uh, It's just a pretty consistent pattern at Southern and he built, he's built a a big winner there. And uh, it's, it's proven to be sustainable over the years, uh, kids have, you know, they, they groom them early at Southern, um, through midget football, then up through junior high up through high school. I mean, it's, they start early with Southern and that's kind of what you have to do if you're building a program, uh, such as the one that Southern Columbia has in in the tiny town of Catawissa, Pennsylvania, that's pretty much, you know, the school itself is surrounded by cornfields where literally fans will go sit in the fields and the, of their pickup trucks and watch games on a Friday night. Like there's no, not too many atmospheres like that that you see in high school football. It's just a, you know, a really small town, but they, for some reason they rise up for football and it's like, you know, it's like the train is never going to come off the tracks there. It's, it's almost like a foregone conclusion that Southern is going to go to a state final or at least go into the state playoffs. And they're going to, they're going to have a lot of success. And, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty awesome on, on their part that they're able to sustain that success throughout the course of all these years. Um, it's just incredible really.
2: So Dan, in the big 10, when you have kids coming in, um, Ohio state coaches have always talked about this. You have kids coming from places like IMG Academy in Florida, which is, you know, a, Mm -hmm. a private, uh, prep school that is, is a lot of the life is centered around football. You have these kids coming from, um, gigantic high schools in Texas. You have kids coming mm-hmm. from other places in Florida where they're playing spring football. You have a lot of kids that I, the coaches do notice the kids who come from the kind of program that maybe allows them um, to adapt more quickly to the college game. So it sounds Certainly. to me like you're, you're describing maybe, you know, a smaller town, a smaller place, but yet the the football is so established there that how do you feel like Julian Fleming has been for four years. Get is he been getting the kind of football education that would maybe allow him to jump into college football and feel like he's prepared? That's a great question. Um, I, I do because simply because of Coach Roth um, and,
0: and his his ability to coach players like that. I mean, I I certainly understand you know these these bigger academies um, that that have, you know, four or five star recruits that come through consistently compared to a very small, very small school. Um, you, you would think that maybe uh, he may not have as much, you know, playing time against top tier opponents or uh, other players such as uh, uh, of his caliber. Um, but I, I really feel like Julian has all the, uh, all, all, the tools right in front of him that he needs to have to, in order to succeed at college. Um, and, and certainly in a big 10 school, you know, a program like Ohio state that's, that's been so successful, has such a great, you know, a huge following. And, you know, it's just such a great tradition there and, and all these big, bigger, you know, big 10 schools, SEC, I mean, wherever it is, it's just, uh, I can certainly understand why uh, some may think that he may not, you know, Oh, he hasn't seen, you know, this, any competition out throughout the course of his career, but he hasn't really needed to, in my opinion. I, I think he, uh, above all else, is just a physical, physical kid. He, he's built like a wide receiver. He, he has all the tools already, and I, I think it's stuff that you can't really coach, too. I mean, Coach Roth has said throughout the course of his career that, you know, this, this God-given talent that Julian has, I mean, it's just stuff that he can't coach, and when you have that on your team i mean it only makes everybody else around you better so in that case um i think i think julian has already kind of developed those skills uh at an early age kind of knew that he uh wasn't going to necessarily see some of the bigger schools i mean there obviously there are some big schools in in pa that have produced uh some quality quality college and nfl players um and I think Julian can certainly be one of those. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, – it's crazy to think that a kid from Catawissa in such a small town uh, can can someday potentially be on an NFL squad. It's just surreal.
2: What kind of offense does Southern run, and how has Julian sort of worked into um, what, what they traditionally do on that side of the ball?
0: It's interesting because Southern runs a wing tee. They've always run a wing tee. And it's pretty common in high school football, especially in our area. A lot of te- teams run the wing T, and obviously, you know the wing T. You're you're trying to run the ball a lot. Uh, but Julian has been, you know, Southern usually only has two wide receivers on the field, one of them being Julian, and uh, they've done a great job, really setting up his opportunities off of the run. When they are, when they're able to have success running the ball, that just open opens things up for Julian. Um, and he's, uh, he's made the most of those opportunities really. Uh, it's just a matter of getting, you know, getting comfortable, uh, and opening up the field for him. Uh, he's, he's thrived in the play action, uh, and he's just a deep threat. I mean, uh, you're, you're consistently seeing him double teamed, uh, nearly every play. And that obviously opens up, uh, some opportunities for his teammates. Um, and if, and even when Julian is double teamed, I mean, he, he can still go up and get the ball. And I mean, his hands are just a sure thing. I mean, I feel like every time you're throwing to Julian, he's coming down with a catch. So double teamed or not, um, they, they kind of thrive off the setting things up with the run and the play action and, uh,
2: you know, making the most of their deep threat opportunities when they get the chance. You mentioned what a great uh, program Southern has been under Coach Roth. Have have there been guys like this that have come through? Or, or how would you put into context um, Julian's status as a five-star national recruit? How, how unusual is that for this area? Or could you point to, oh, this guy a couple years ago, this guy a couple years ago, that they've had maybe guys of this caliber every few years?
0: Well, they have, uh, as a, a former uh, New York Giant uh, Super Bowl champ, Henry Hynoski came through the uh, the program at Southern. Uh, he was one of their, their biggest, uh, you know, hit record setter, running back. Uh, he played fullback at the time, uh, went on to win, like I said, a, a, a Super Bowl with the Giants uh, 2004, I believe, something somewhere around there. Uh, but he's, I mean, Hynoski is the only other one that sticks out, uh, in the more recent memories, but I, uh, before I was at the paper, I've, I've been there about 10 years. Uh, and it was before my time when Henry was, uh, he went to Pitt and then went on to to play for the giants. Um, it was before my time, but I, in the 10 years that I've been at the paper, I've never seen, uh, quite the recruiting, uh that's going on with julian it's been uh i I, i've really never seen anything you know quite like this so i don't have too much to compare it to other than uh you know when you when you see someone you know knocking down julian's door just any school throughout the country everybody wants them uh it's quite a quite a sight to sit back and and just kind of watch it all unfold because you know, you don't know if this is ever going to happen again in a in a small area that we're in. Um, so it's been really cool. It's been a fun experience to try and uh, to cover all of this and, uh, and really, you know, do justice to to the type of athlete that Julian is. And it's just a fun ride. I hope he's enjoying it. I, I'm sure he is. And uh, I hope uh, I hope nothing but success for him because he uh, he's got all the skills to to really thrive. And, uh, I, I think we could see him playing
2: on Sundays someday. I really do. I was looking through, um, the college, no, the, the high school football preview section that your paper, mm-hmm. uh, put out last year. I'm sure you guys do it every year. It's just, it's such a, I mean, it's just one of those great, high school football sections with the big team pictures and the breakdowns oh, of yeah. the school in the area and in-depth stories. It's one of those things that, I mean, high school football fans, there's there's fewer and fewer of those, I think, around the country. But, you know, there was a time when a lot of papers were able to put out a high school football section like that. Um, and what you guys do to me is is a testament to, to, first of all, the the emphasis that your paper puts on it. And obviously, it must show that that there, people want that kind of thing, right? That there yeah, is that absolutely. in your area. Um, yeah, with, without that, a doubt. How, how has Julian maybe handled all this? That if this is an area where people care about high school football, he is an exceptional talent that doesn't come around all that often. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's the kind of guy that that everybody in the area knows. From the stories that you have done on Julian and the interaction you've had with him, how has he handled it? What kind of kid is he?
0: Man, he's I'm so glad you asked that question because he has been he has been 100% uh fantastic. I mean, he is such a nice kid and I think I think that above all else is one of the things that stands out. I mean, he is you can truly tell that he is a genuinely good person. He cares. I mean, he he works hard He's very humble about all of this. I mean, he's never. He, he he gets a lot of hate on Twitter about you know, hey, where are you gonna go? I mean, the kid has 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 dealt with a lot of a lot of stuff um, that's outside of his control that you know people want to hate on him or whatever, and he takes it in stride. Man, he's just he's so humble, and you know, he never. I've never once seen him, you know, let all the success, you know, go to his head. He's very much a team player, um, and he he's just a really, really good kid. I mean, you you talk to him, he, he's always welcoming, to, you know, to talk to. He never would would ignore, you know, like an interview
3: request, anything
0: like that. He's just very grateful, very very much knows the position that he's in, and I think he's handled it as well as any, you know, 16, 17-year-old kid can do in high school to have the spotlight, you know, thrown at you all the time. I mean, you got James Franklin flying in in a helicopter to come see you watch, you know, watch you play football on a Friday night. How often does that happen? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's such a huge, uh such a huge following, and everybody wants to know, you know, where he's going to go. And I, I think the main thing is, you know, from our perspective, I mean, at least mine at the paper, we just want a kid like that to succeed and have, you know, all, all the success because he really deserves it. He puts in so much hard work and, uh, man, he's just, every time I've dealt with him, he's been such a cool, cool cat. I mean, he, uh, he, he's fun to be around. I wish I could hang out with him. You know what I mean? He, he would be, uh, he'd just be a good kid to have as a friend, you know, he's, uh, he's very much, uh, uh, a team player does not let that stuff go to his head. And uh, he, he's very good at focusing on what he needs to do to make himself better.
2: And uh, he just kind of he just kind of rolls that way. Without getting into what his decision is, is, is going to be the the idea that he has uh, decided that he is going to announce this on May 31st and he's he's yep. going to go ahead and make this choice. Just what, what's your observation of sort of how this has played out? Are you surprised at all that that he's deciding to um, make this decision now before um, his senior year begins? Or did you sort of – did he had he given indications along the way? Just the way the recruiting process has played out for him, what have you thought?
0: Yeah, it's been uh, – I, I was a little surprised to see that he's going to announce it here at the end of the month. Um, but at the same time, you know, just knowing that, I, I read an article last night about how he uh, was just kind of getting a little stressed out or just a little overwhelmed with, uh, I think, uh, you know, with making the decision. And when, I guess, I guess when you already have your your mind made up, you might as well just let everybody now instead of just putting it off until the end of football season or whatever. Um, I think he, I, I would say he's handled it very, very well. Um, uh, I haven't noticed, you know, he's, he's, done all the right things in terms of, you know, narrowing, narrowing down his choices of schools and uh, just giving it a lot of thought. Cause I mean, he's been recruited for so long now that he's really had a lot of time to think about what he wants to do and, you know, where he wants to go in his life. So, I mean, I'm, I was a little surprised to see that he moved up his, uh, his announcement, but at the same time, not overwhelmingly surprised, just because if it were me too, it's just kind of one of those things. Where you're like, you know what? I just want to get it over with. Everybody knows. And then we could just move on and let's play football. So in that, in terms of that, you know, with, with high school football coming up next few months, I mean, uh, completely understand where he's coming from and uh, not surprised to see that
2: he'll be, uh, he'll be announcing here in a few days, really. All right. Sports editor, Dan Riley, what are your coverage plans for the day that Julian Fleming announces this? How How big of a deal are you going to make this in the paper?
0: Well, I'm sure, yeah, we'll be, I'm sure we'll be playing it up for sure. Uh, not, not exactly sure how big it'll get played up. I was just told before, uh, I, I'm talking to you that he's, uh, he's going to make the announcement. I believe it's a Friday night. And then I guess he's going to hold a press conference the following day at the high school uh, on Saturday, June 1st, I believe. So I, I'm sure, uh, the bigger, the bigger play up will probably be Saturday into Sunday, but just depends uh i guess it depends on what time he makes the announcement and uh you know what we can do with it too we're, we're a very small paper with a very small staff so you know it's you kind of have to uh juggle your resources a little bit to to do justice to your local athletes so it'll be interesting to see uh how, how we play it up but i'm looking forward to it i'm sure it'll be uh a pretty big deal on our our sports front. If it's not the entire sports front, it'll be, it'll be pretty close. So uh, it'll be, it'll be very cool to see, you know, when he makes that decision and man, I'm, I'm curious to see where he's going to go. I mean, it's going to be, it's been a long time coming to figure it out. So uh, just kind of really excited to see what he decides.
2: Dan Riley from the press enterprise in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks for, uh, for giving our Ohio State fans here, are a peek into uh, into this kid. And I think, you know, I've been covering this for a while too, just like you have, and you do get to the mm-hmm. point that, you know, all these kids, they, they put themselves with their talent, with the work they do, with the support of their families and their coaches, they put themselves in position to only have good options. So, right. um, you know, when you when you get to that point, you know, you can't go wrong. And so I do think in the end, these kids, they do. It's a great privilege, right? It's a great privilege to have this many people care about your life, but it also yep. can be a burden at times, too. So it's always I think it's a relief um when these kids get a decision out of the way and then get to sort of realize, you know, their lives can move on now, because, again, when you get to this point, there's there's no wrong choice when you have the options he has. So, um Dan, with thanks with you so added. much for the time. Yeah.
0: Without a doubt, thank you so much and uh, man, really appreciate it
2: so like again this is um this is a big thing um, his overall rating on two four seven sports the composite ratings there, which I think are the best way um, to get a, a full picture across the board about where a kid is rated, his overall rating is point nine nine seven seven okay so he is the the highest rated receiver <sighs> Oh, listen <laughs> How, it's like I don't I don't want so I was about to say, if he gets to Columbus, I'm gonna say when he gets to Columbus, okay, so like I'm not gonna you know mess up a kid's announcement, but I am not ifing it, okay, that's where we are, um, and I'm not the only person who who would not if this um. Julian Fleming, when he gets to this roster, he will be the highest-rated recruit on the roster, save for Justin Fields. So what this kid's overall rating is in the 247 system, it's higher than what Nick Bosa's was in 2016, when Nick Bosa was a five-star. It's higher than what, um, let's see, someone like Chase excuse me it's higher than Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda who were the number seven and eight players in the class of 2017 it's higher than Nicholas petit Frere, who was the number seven overall player in the class of 2018 we talked about those 2017 and 2018 classes for Ohio State where both ranked second in the country were probably the two best recruiting classes in Ohio State history Julian Fleming is ranked higher than anybody in those two classes Uh, He's ranked higher than Zach Harrison, who was number 12 in last year's class. And he's ranked higher than Garrett Wilson. And everyone is super fired up about Garrett Wilson. And I get it. It's only recruiting rankings. Garrett Wilson last year was the number two receiver in the class of 2019. He was the number 20 overall player. His 247 sports rating was 9903. Julian Flemings is 9977. So, that is what we're talking about with this kid. Um, he's higher than Paris Johnson. At the moment, Julian Fleming is number six overall in the class of 2020. Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle from Cincinnati, is number seven. Julian Fleming is 9977 in his rating. Paris Johnson is 9973. So, Julian Fleming, as a recruit, is as good of a recruit, basically, as Ohio State has ever seen. That's what we're talking about here. Terrell Pryor was nine 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 seven so Terrell Pryor was a higher rated individual player but that's what we're talking about here That's how people look at Julian Fleming right now so we're just trying to put this in context and and I'm going to go to another guy now his name's Dave Fegley he's another guy who has covered uh, Julian Fleming. We're going to talk specifically about what he just did uh, at the Pennsylvania State track meet. And a little bit more about how his recruitment is being viewed uh, in Catawissa is actually the town. Catawissa, Pennsylvania is this small rural town. That town itself has a population of less than 1,600 people. So it's a small place where football matters a lot. So let's talk to another reporter that knows very well Southern Columbia football and Julian Fleming. Joined next by Dave Fegley from the Black Diamond Sports Network. They cover everything in this part of Pennsylvania where Julian Fleming plays football, and Dave uh, coincidentally also teaches at Southern Columbia um, where Julian Fleming is a student. So Dave and I have been in contact for the past several days, but we delayed our interview um, for a couple days because Dave was at the Pennsylvania um, State Championship track meet over the weekend where Julian was participating in several events, and Dave thought maybe that would bring a lot of life to this segment of the podcast. So, Dave, you were there just like before we, we get into the detail of what Julian did. Just when you watched him that day and the different events he was in, just like what's your takeaway of him as an athlete? That He's a football player doing this track stuff and a lot of guys do track stuff. What was your takeaway of him as an athlete watching him that day?
3: Well, I think the biggest thing with Julian, and I, it stems obviously from football playing in the state championship game every year since his freshman year, you could kind of tell with some of the other athletes that the nerves settled in. I mean, a couple people fall starting or scratching on jumps, but Julian just has that kind of confident demeanor to him that the moment's not too big for him. And I know there was people yelling for him that wanted an autograph or a picture And um, so the spotlight was certainly around him. You heard in the crowd, oh, that's Julian Fleming, uh, the Southern Columbia football star and all that. But he just, he's very focused. He knows what he needs to do. And um, to take second in the long jump and the 100-meter dash, and then anchor two relay teams that uh, placed high in the state. I mean, I think it just showed what type of athlete Julian is as an overall athlete. Competitor because it was a hot day both Friday and Saturday, so between having to run in the preliminaries and semifinals and fitting everything else in, and then having that added um, that added cloud over him of being kind of the showcase of the entire weekend, um, it had to be both mentally and physically draining. But he certainly um, was very competitive and really
2: at the top of the state showing that he's a complete package so dave when you watch a guy like him run because he's a pretty good sized receiver what's he look like going down the track in the hundred against these these other guys he's racing to be the fastest guy in the state of pennsylvania
3: <laughs> that's a, funny you brought it up because um actually in the long jump it was even more comical because the kids had actually won beat him in the long jump julian was winning the long jump till the second to last jump and there was actually a controversial where they thought it might have been um measured wrong but anyway he he kind he does look like a man amongst boys and ever since his freshman year that was the biggest gap from his freshman to sophomore year when he started to hit the weights very heavily he kind of looked like a uh we'll just go into the conference that you're covering big 10 kind of look like a big 10 tight end going up against a, uh, we'll say a division three or division two D back. I mean, the size difference is unbelievable and it's the probably the most amazing thing is just how effortless he makes it look whenever he's running. Sometimes you see those guys that have that mean face on him, whereas he's just, it's almost like he's jogging or prancing with the way he just glides through uh, his motions.
2: Dave, with being around the the Southern Columbia program as much as you have been, um, again, they he's played in the state championship game in football every year of his life so far. Again, that you're talking about him being at the state track championship and just being calm and collected in that moment. What what's it like when Southern Columbia is this kind of program that just makes appearances in the state championship game? a regular part of the season. What's it like, not just for Julian, but the whole program?
3: Well, I mean, I've been fortunate enough. I grew up, I've attended school at Southern Columbia, and um, we don't have, I wouldn't say, I mean, if if you're looking at Division I um, producers, Southern Columbia hasn't, and I think that's what makes it even more impressive, you have your St. Joe's preps and bigger schools in Pennsylvania, that have had all this NFL success there's in terms of state championship production, Southern Columbia has appeared in more than twice as many as any other school in Pennsylvania. This year, they're going to be the odds on favorite to win a 10th state championship. Nobody's ever done that before. And uh, since the PIAA implemented the state championship game, Southern Columbia has appeared in over half the games since the early 1980s. It's just mind boggling that success that they've had now for, um, over three decades and in terms of coaching Jim Roth the head coach has been there at Southern Columbia uh, since he started in the mid-1980s there hasn't been a coach not just in Pennsylvania but in the entire country that has coached since Coach Roth started that has the same amount of wins or the winning percentage that he has. Um, Southern Columbia hasn't had a losing record since before Roth came. The worst season he had was one game over 500 so to be going on four decades here without having a losing season. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, incredible that whenever maybe Southern goes nine and two and loses in the first round of the state playoffs, it's considered a failure of the season when everybody else, ninety and nine percent of the schools in the state would be jumping for joy with that kind of
2: success. Dave, just knowing the sports fans in this area of Pennsylvania um, how big of a deal is college football and what, what are the, what, what college team do people root for the most?
3: Well, in this immediate area, um, Penn State just being an in-state program, um, it was, I would say the overwhelming team that, uh, people root for. But in the area we're in a, uh, it's like a, there's not too much around the area of Southern Columbia, a lot of farming. And uh, just laid back, so football is a huge part of the culture. Um, really, uh, it's hard to find a Southern Columbia game, home or away, where the home bleachers aren't standing room only. So the football falling's amazing. Um, but Big Ten football certainly, where people lean towards. Uh, you have your fans that are fans of the Notre Dame's and other schools, but um, primarily the schools in this area that are root that people root for are your Penn States and your Pittsburgh's but I think um, as far as a following Big Ten's the biggest interest Um, so there's a lot of knowledge around this area and people keep up and are pretty sharp on their football knowledge and with the success of the Steelers and the Eagles in the NFL I mean right stems from that
2: okay so how would you characterize just sort of the interest in Julian's decision that he is going to announce uh, on Friday? How, is this something that, you know, beyond the success of the team and the interest of, in the Southern Columbia team, how interested are people in in what in where Julian Fleming is going to play college football?
3: Well, that, that's something that I think, before I even get into it, you can credit Julian for because... He certainly isn't trying to take over and be the spotlight. He's kind of laying low with it. Um, And he wants, like I said, there's a handful of other guys that are getting division one looks and he's trying to do everything he can to help hype them up. Um, But I I think not just Southern Columbia, the schools that Southern plays on a uh, annual um, occurrence, there's, I mean, last year it was funny. There was three or four games that I was down doing interviews after the game, and I had to wait for Julian to get pictures with opponents that he just basically torched through the air receiving. There's defensive backs wanting pictures with him. But um, as far as the immediate area, from what I've um, found, I don't think there's many people that are pressuring Julian into um, giving any hint as to where he's going. Some people obviously know. Um, but there's certainly a big following. And I think as far as, well, you know, I'm sure Twitter's kind of taken over in terms of everybody thinks they have to be the expert and the opinion um, seekers. So, but he's done a good job and he's had to learn early on because Michigan's the first school that actually offered him and they er offered him early on in his freshman year. So he's had to kind of live with that whole stardom um, stigma since his freshman year. So uh, as far as the immediate area, I think he knows that, that he has the support of his community and his family's very supportive as well.
2: So Dave, I know, you know, Julian, it seems like he, he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to take the opportunity to get this decision out of the way, and then he'll be able to focus on his senior year of high school football. Just what you talked about with the guys in his class. What What are the what are people thinking about what this this Southern Columbia football season could be like in the fall? Again, at a place where making the state championship and, and even winning a state championship is really nothing new. But but how excited are, are these people for what sounds like a pretty special class that Julian is a part of?
3: Well, I think as far as the media, the pressure and the coaching staff that's been there forever, that's one good thing with Southern is Coach Roth's had his, assistance with them throughout their basically his whole tenure so they know how to deal with it they've been in this position before maybe not not to this magnitude but um these kids are going to hear it from the fans from the media um that it's going to be expected that they walk through and have an undefeated season um and win the state championship but i think they've kind of grown up to see this with other teams in the past um so the pressure will certainly be there but i think A lot of them know how to deal with it. Um, The one thing Southern, the biggest question mark, they're replacing all their offensive linemen this year, and Southern's actually opening in South Carolina um, this year. It's going to be on ESPN in August against one of the top schools in um, South Carolina, Hammond, and that's a true road game for Southern down in South Carolina, like I said, on ESPN. So the hype will be there, um, and Hammond has two of the top, Recruits in the country as well. One of the ESPN top 10 players in one of their defensive ends. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but so right off the bat, that's going to be a uh, big challenge, especially because down in South Carolina, they start playing their regular season um, in the late part of the summer. So they're going to be in their fourth or fifth game of the season where Southern's going to be opening on the road 12 hours away. So that's going to be, that'll kind of be, that could most likely will be the toughest game Southern has this year by four. But as far as um, the rest of the season, if it's anything like last season, they just take it a game at a time, not looking ahead, and kind of have that eye on the prize. But it's just a stepping stone each stepping stone each week until they get to that final game and then um, have been pretty successful when it comes to it.
2: Dave Fegley from the Black Diamond Sports Network. Um... Thanks so much for your time on this. It just sounds like, uh, sounds like a great part of the country to watch high school football. And I know, um, places like Ohio State and and all these big time programs, coaches have talked about it a lot. They love kids who know how to win, right? That I mean, the individual talent is great. But when you come from a winning culture, when you're surrounded by winning players, I know Ohio State, for instance, always is talking about how many kids. Do they have who won state championships or who, whose teams made the playoffs? And it, and it seems like that is a carryover, that that helps a kid get ready for the highest level when you are competing with something on the line each weekend. And it sounds like, I mean, that's what it's been like at Southern Columbia for decades and decades and decades that, you know, you go out expecting to win. And that, that has to help make you better when you get to college.
3: Absolutely and that you said it exactly right. I mean you have these high level recruits that come into college that might not have been on a winning team in their whole high school career. so you get to that point where the pressure's on maybe in um, late November a big ten showdown between an Ohio state and a Michigan or a Penn State, Michigan state or a Wisconsin and Iowa all the different rivalries I mean, Big Ten probably more than any other conference has those games and college football is the one From the college to professional level, where every game obviously matters, and you know that certainly as well as anybody, um, because one loss could be the difference from you being in the uh, a New Year's Day bowl game or it's the bowl championship series. So definitely having that that um, practice or being a part of that pressure building up from the high school level, and just having that. Um, that feeling in your veins of knowing what it takes to win. Um, a lot of people don't have that. And like you said, as far as being, you can be the physically the most talented player, but mentally you might not have ever been in that situation. So it's new to some of these players. Whereas you get guys that are part of winning cultures and playing in these high level games in high school, it's not as big of a jumper as much of an issue for a coaching staff to have to worry about.
2: Dave Fegley, thanks so much for your help. Good luck covering Julian's announcement at the end of this week, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up down the line sometime. All right, so that's the deal on uh, on Julian Fleming. I just double checked one more time. Again, he he will be the highest-rated recruit um, to commit to Ohio State out of high school since Terrell Pryor in 2008. The closest uh, again, Julian Fleming's at 9977. Noah Spence in 2012 was 9975. So That's why we're doing uh, basically the whole first chunk of a podcast about this um, individual kid. Please go read my story. Uh, That'll be up Thursday morning on cleveland.com, talking to more people, not just about Julian Fleming, but about the success that Ohio State, and in particular, um, obviously Brian Hartline, what what has happened with Ohio State's receiver recruiting. I talked to G. Scott Sr., um, whose son is one of Ohio State's receiver commits in this class. Sort of about Brian Hartline. Um, did talk to Brian Hartline a little bit about this. Um, I just think it's a it's an interesting look that a lot of, is coalescing around Julian Fleming. Just with the teams that Ohio State has to recruit against, what Ohio State's trying to do, what they're trying to do with the young coach like Brian Hartline, what they're trying to do with the new coach like Ryan Day, what they're trying to do with this offense. A, a lot of things are in play here with Julian Fleming. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for Ohio State to feel very good about how things are going. So that's it for this part of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed those interviews. We want to thank uh, Dan Riley and Dave Fegley uh, for their time on that. And and, and I will say this before we get out of this. Um, Again, just talking to people, I think this has been um, pretty uh, heated for Julian Fleming. Not heated, but just that uh, he's going now. He maybe wasn't always going to commit this early. Uh, he's just swamped, and, and that is not new. But a five-star kid, even from a program like Southern Columbia, that's a great winning program. They're, you know, It's not like IMG Academy, or it's not like uh, St. John Bosco uh, in California, where they're pumping out five-star kids, where they're pumping out Division One players every year. It can just get overwhelming. And so I think it has gotten overwhelming for Julian Fleming. That's part of why he's going now. So just with any of these kids, you want them to have peace about their decision. and if And if you can do this now... Um, and get the decision over with then you can play your senior year high school football and and try to go out a winner at a place where you've been a winner your whole career and not have any of this stuff affect your season or anything like that so as far as why this is happening now i think that's why because it really just has gotten um really intense for him so all right we'll be back in one second with a bunch of your questions thanks as always you can always send stuff right i didn't do the intro at the beginning because i wanted to get right to the podcast. And I want to get right to the meat. Right to the meat. No app this week. No app. Sometimes I... Sometimes ah, The apps. I like apps. I thought calamari was octopus and then some, someone told me this weekend it was squid. I don't like either of those. But mozzarella sticks, uh, potato skins, nachos. Sometimes I like to get the nachos as a meal. Anyway, like the apps. We went right to the meat this week. So now some, we're back filling on the apps a little bit. We're coming in behind. With the apps after the fact. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Maurice Make sure you're reading me and reading Stephen Means uh, at Cleveland.com. This project tech stuff is coming to an end. The free trial ends on Friday, the end of May. Um, But you don't have to do the free trial to get to pay. So you've kind of missed the free trial. But if you still want to think about this, again, you could go to cleveland.com. We're still going to have ads up for it. I still have the link on Twitter. Um, it's three ninety nine a month. I've been tweeting. I mean, not, I say tweet. I've been texting a lot about Julian Fleming, about some other recruiting stuff, because that's what I've been reporting on. Um, and we're going to have a bunch of stuff in June. And then as I've been reminding people, um, as this free trial's running down, you might think, well, it's the off season. What are you going to talk about? Big 10 media days are like, I think the 16th and 17th or something like that of July. So like the off season is not that long. So once we get to that, then we're really starting to get into stuff again. So um, I'll keep you informed through the month of June about what's up with, with Ohio State. And then, uh, and then in July, it's rolling. So give the text thing a thought. Um, find me on Twitter. You can see the link there. Find it on Cleveland.com. But for now, we'll get back to uh, more questions from you guys here on Buckeye Talk. Okay, into your first questions here on Twitter. Christopher King at Scooters King. Everyone's so interested in, in like Ryan Day's prospects as a coach that it's like, I feel like we could do like, Oh, I could do like another Ryan Day podcast, but I think Ryan Day has been in the headline of this podcast like the past three or four weeks or at least before last week. Um, But it's the underlying thing, right? Like Ryan Day is the underlying thing of all this. of Like we know the 17 and 18 recruiting classes are number two in the country. We know Justin Fields is here. How good is Ryan Day? So, Here's the Scooter's King question. Let's say this is the offseason after Ryan Day's fifth season as the Ohio State coach. So 19-20-21, 22-23, he's coached. What's his winning percentage? How many Big Ten titles? How many wins versus Michigan? How many Heisman Trophy winners? How many playoff appearances? How many national title appearances? How many national championships? So I went through and I just did this. I just worked this out. And if I told you my prediction is not 809 win percentage. 55 and 13. If I tell you that's, I don't know if that's a prediction, but I thought that was a reasonable assessment. Five years in, 55 and 13. Three and two against Michigan. Two big ten titles in five years two playoff appearances one national title game appearance no championships 55 and 13 that feels a little under to me which again is ridiculous <clears throat> the year by year record that i came up with to get those five that five year result is 10 and 3 13 and 2, 11 and 2, 12 and 2, 9 and 4. So that 10 and 3 this year is 9 and 3 in the regular season. Lose to Michigan. Don't make the Big Ten title game. Win your bowl. And then next year in Justin Field's second year, with year two of Garrett Wilson, with you assume you get a good back in here. Um, Julian Fleming's here as a freshman. You like your receivers. The defense is still growing. That That is a. Uh, Eleven and one regular season, get to the Big Ten title game, win that to get to twelve and one, win the first, win a playoff semifinal to get to thirteen and one, and then you lose to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson in Trevor Lawrence's last game as a college quarterback in the national title game, and that would be Ryan Day's first two years, ten and three and thirteen and two. Then now you're in the Jack Miller era, presumably. That if Jack Miller is a backup or red shirt somehow in his first year on campus behind Justin Fields that then Jack Miller is the starter in his second year on campus. So now these years three, four, and five of, of Ryan day, I'm, I'm calling the Jack Miller era. That's his year two, three, and four on campus. And your question is, is Jack Miller a national championship quarterback? So if I told you that Jack Miller's three years were 11 and two, Lose to Michigan, 12 and 2, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, make the playoff and lose in the semifinal. And then 9 and 4, why? Why would you get worse, like in Jack Miller's third year as a starter? Because stuff happens. Because stuff happens sometimes. And maybe you lose to Michigan in there, right? Actually, no, no. You beat Michigan. I had that as a as a win against Michigan to make Ryan do three, Ryan Day three and two against Michigan. You beat Michigan, but somebody jumps up and bites you a couple times. You lose the bowl, so you're nine and three in the regular season, and you lose your bowl game, and you're nine and four. And suddenly, that's bad. And what is it? Why am I predicting them to go nine and four five years from now? Because sometimes you go nine and four. So, like in that world, are you disappointed? Because let's compare that to Urban Meyer's first five years. My prediction of Ryan Day's first five years 55 and 13, 809 win percentage. Urban Meyer's first five years, 61 and 6, 910 winning percentage. I said two Big Ten championships for Ryan Day. Urban Meyer in his first five years, 1 2. Now, in 2012, they were undefeated and they were banned, so they could have had three, but they didn't win it in 2013 and they didn't win it in 2016. So I had the same number of Big Ten titles, number of playoff appearances, two for Urban Meyer. Banned in 2012, didn't make it in 13, won it in 14, did not make it in 15, made it in 16. So if you're feeling disappointed at my or at my Ryan Day predicted outcome, it's the same number of playoff appearances as Urban Meyer in his first five years, and then Urban Meyer got a national championship, and my prediction does not include a Ryan Day national championship. So it's one of those things like, how could you be disappointed? At 55-13, losses by year, 3-2-2-2-4. And with the same number of Big Ten championships and playoff appearances as Urban Meyer. Now the difference is Urban Meyer is 5-0 against Michigan. I mean, how can you predict anyone to go 5-0 and against Michigan? Urban Meyer won some crazy games to get to 5-0. So I think it's a really interesting question. I feel like 55 and 13 is almost like a worst-case scenario. Yet within that worst-case scenario, only he only loses four games once. And when you get, if you go, if he does that, and it's three losses, two, 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 and then nine and four, you're not going to fire him in year five because he went nine and four. So it's a very interesting exercise, and I appreciate the question from Christopher King. And I just would ask you guys what you think about that. If you want to tweet at me and respond to that, that's great. It's just a really Interesting way to think about it. Good question from Christopher King. Stephen at two S C U B A S T Oh see so he has Steven there. Two scuba Steve seven. Which assistant coach do you think will be the first hired out by another school? So I don't think Larry Johnson's going anywhere. Um, Al Washington, I think, is here for a little while. I think he needs to grow as a coach. And if he's a Columbus native and his dad played for Ohio State, then he's going to do that here. I think. Uh, Matt Barnes is the assistant secondary coach. I just I don't even know what he is exactly. Greg Madison's at the end of his career. Uh, Jeff Hathley is the guy you think about. Greg Studrawa on the offensive line. He's not he's not going anywhere. Uh, Tony Alford maybe. Uh, Mike Yurcich maybe. Kevin Wilson, it's, it's hard to get a read on him. I mean, he's been a head coach, but he had the incidents, alleged incidents that, uh, you know, players claimed some level of something at, at Indiana, the way he treated players. I mean, the three candidates really are Mike Yersich, Brian Hartline, who I didn't mention, um, and Jeff Halfley. Now, Tony Alford's in there, and if Tony Alford really wanted to go after a head coaching job, I think he could. I think he's done a really good job, and I think Tony Alford could do that. Um and Tony Alford's been at Notre Dame. He's been at places. Ohio State went and got him from Notre Dame. So somebody could come get Tony Alford for sure. I'm curious to see how Mike Yersich progresses because that's the spot, right? That was the Tom Herman spot. Houston came and got him as a head coach. Ryan Day became Ohio State's head coach from that spot. When you're in this era, when you're a quarterback's coach and you're an offensive play caller, and Day is going to be the play caller, but Yurcich is going to help with that, you're hot, Right? Heartline is already getting calls from people, and he's content right now. He is not looking to get out of here, but I don't think when you're a young receivers coach like that, he's not getting calls to go be a head coach somewhere. I think probably, and I don't know this, I would imagine there are NFL teams and other teams asking him, do you want to come be a receivers coach here? You've shown that you can coach receivers. Do you want to move up? Um, And so I don't know if the question is, By another school, I don't know. Because I think Hartline and Jeff Halfley, I think Jeff Halfley's move from here is defensive coordinator in the NFL. He came from the NFL. I think that's where he'd go. I think it would be more like a Mike Vrabel path, that he he goes that kind of direction, that he goes up a level – and is Jeff Halfley going to go be – from Ohio State right now, go be the head coach of a college program? Maybe. I think Jeff Hathley is going to take over as the full defensive coordinator maybe in two years. Greg Madison is first among equals right now among the two co-defensive coordinators. So, but I think Hathley's more NFL. I think Heartline might be more NFL. And then you're such you have to wait and see. But I don't know that necessarily they're looking at a lot of immediate staff shakeup. I think you could see this staff together maybe for something even like the first three years – of the Ryan Day era. And then if there is a shakeup, it's not necessarily the best guys getting hired to other jobs. Maybe it's a Larry Johnson retirement or a Greg Madison retirement, or maybe there's a move that Ryan Day feels he has to make to make the staff better. But I don't know that anybody is immediately like on the way out. So that I think, that I think is an interesting question. I don't know that that's where this staff is um, as a group right now. I got a couple questions about this. Chris Dreger... About the Zach Smith podcast. And I made a joke last week um, about the Zach Smith podcast. And, like, here's here's Chris's question. And I've been reading other people's tweets about the Zach Smith podcast. And I can address the issue, but I'm not going to address it specifically. What truth, if any, is there to the Ed Warner stories from the Zach Smith podcast? And was Urban truly unwilling to pull the trigger on what seems to be a bad coach? That Michigan State game will haunt me forever. So... Uh let's see if we have another person um who asked about that somebody did um somebody asked about that about some more Zack Smith stuff I can't find it right now but my 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 point is this the idea that um Ed Warner is to blame for what happened in 2015 is not new, right? That that was advanced by Cardale Jones on the Letterman Road podcast a couple weeks ago. So here's the thing. Um, I'll, I'll go over it again quickly just because it's worth going over. Tim Beck, Ed Warner, and Urban Meyer combined, the three of them worked together to call – Bad plays for Ohio State in 2015. Ed Warner was the head play caller for most of the season. And they had issues with, should he be in the box? Should he not be in the box? They brought Tim Beck in to help. But clearly, there were co-coordinators that year, and Ed Warner was more in charge. I am the guy who has always blamed Tim Beck, and I blame Tim Beck not for the play calling, but for the lack of development among the quarterbacks. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Cardale Jones and JT Barrett were both better in 2014 than they were in 2015, that's just a fact. And JT Barrett was better in 2017 than he was in 2016. That's after Tim Beck was gone. My issue with Tim Beck is not play calling because he was not the primary play caller. My issue was with Tim Beck was getting the quarterbacks to play well. And I will stand behind that forever because look at how the quarterbacks played. And that includes if Cardale Jones doesn't believe it, Cardale Jones didn't play as well. So it doesn't. I don't care if they like Tim Beck. I don't care if they go visit Tim Beck at Texas. He did not get them to play well. And you liking a coach and a coach getting you to play your best is not the same thing. So that is that on Tim Beck. My Tim Beck issue has never been a play calling issue. He was involved with that. It has never been my primary issue. It has been play of the guys in his room. But I will tell you that the offensive line blamed Tim Beck for the Michigan State loss that if Tim Beck and Ed Warner were together play calling for Michigan State, the offensive line coached by Ed Warner blames Tim Beck. The people who worked with Tim Beck more blame Ed Warner. So I don't know what Zach Smith said about Ed Warner, and I don't care. I'm not going to listen to the Zach Smith podcast because I don't have to. I don't want to give Zach Smith a listen. If you guys want to give Zach Smith a listen, that's great. Zach Smith maybe doesn't want to give this podcast a listen. That's fine. But I'm not going to do it. So if you want to have a podcast, comment on that podcast. That's not this podcast. But the issue of was Ed Warner a bad play caller in 2015? The answer is yes. The question, if the question, and I assume part of it is, if the question is, did Urban Meyer elevate Ed Warner to primary play caller when Tom Herman left because he felt he had a sense of loyalty and of duty and it was Ed's turn, and that's what motivated him, I 100% believe that's that's what motivated Urban Meyer. I don't think Urban Meyer looked out in the great wide world of college football and said, who was the absolute best play caller I could get in the world for the most talented offensive team in college football? Did he believe that the answer was Ed Warner? No, but he promoted Ed Warner anyway. Urban, and we've said this before, players and coaches was sometimes loyal to a fault. When Ed Warner left, they made it seem like Ed Warner chose to leave Ohio State to be the offensive line coach at Minnesota. They never fired him. They never dismissed him. They never said he's not coming back. They just said he left. When Urban Meyer fired Zach Smith, who now has a podcast, you might note, Urban Meyer said, I never fired anybody before. I went in Urban's office and I talked with him about this. I never fired anybody before was a point of pride. For Urban Meyer. So, if you want to find fault in that, if you want to believe that is a flaw in Urban Meyer, go ahead. If you want to believe that loyalty to staff is a plus and that he got guys to stick around or he got good coaches to come here because they knew they're not going to get fired and they knew that they're going to have a chance to go be a head coach, and what I have a million times called Urban Meyer shirt, Urban Meyer head coach finishing school. Certainly, there is some benefit to loyalty. Does it outweigh the mistakes you make by being loyal? I don't know. There is some benefit. There is some detriment. He was too loyal. Ed Warner was above his pay grade. Ed Warner is a very good offensive line developer. He was a bad play caller. And Urban, in that moment, could not get it right to take it back, to take it over, to say, I'm the play caller. I'm the... The play designer, I'm the guy who's going to decide what we do each week. And you know who's calling the plays against Michigan State? Urban Meyer is. He didn't do it. But Urban Meyer won three national championships. Tim Beck didn't win any. Ed Warner never won one as an offensive coordinator. He won one as a line coach, which is what he was really good at. So I don't care what Zach Smith says. And I'm telling you, whatever Zach Smith says is not that different than what anybody else is saying. It's just he was on the staff. So... He probably has good stories to tell because he used to be a college football coach. And then he blew his career up. And now he's not. Now he's a podcaster. So I'm not going to listen to it. But nothing he's saying there surprises anybody. So, yes, Urban Meyer was too loyal in that moment to Ed Warner. And when he went out and got Tim Beck, instead of that, and I wrote this story at the Fiesta Bowl when Ohio State in that 2015 season wound up playing Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, he looked at Mike Sanford, who wound up going to Notre Dame as a play caller. And I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing Mike Sanford, who would have been a better hire, Urban had worked with his father, he would have been a better hire than Tim Beck. But I bet Mike, San- Mike Sanford wanted to call plays, I think. So he wasn't going to come here to let Ed Warner call plays. If, he would have said to, if Urban would have said to Mike Sanford, you come, you call him. Ed your co, you're in charge, Mike Sanford. I think Mike Sanford would have come, and Ohio State would have been better for it. But Urban was loyal to Ed Warner, and he hired Tim Beck, who had been a play caller at Nebraska, but was out there, didn't have a job, and was willing to come here without being the primary play caller. So the error there, and I don't need Zach Smith to tell me this, the error there is not hiring a quarterback's coach to become the primary play caller, which is what would have exactly replaced Tom Herman. Instead, he elevates Ed Warner, the offensive line coach, to a position that Ed Warner could not do effectively. So you know who I had problems with that year? My two main problems? For getting the most out of their rooms, because the play calling is an issue, but also the head coach is involved with the play calling. My issues were with Tim Beck, And Zach Smith, because ask yourself if the receivers that year were as good as they could be and were as used effectively as they could be. And 2016, it came back the same way, Tim Beck and Zach Smith. So Zach Smith can go ahead and crap all over Ed Warner or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. If he's doing that, that's fine. But I will tell you that as a position coach, Ed Warner is a better position coach than Zach Smith was a position coach. And if Zach Smith is criticizing the offensive coordinators at Ohio State, you know, who never sniffed being an offensive coordinator as a coach? Zach Smith. Okay, that was hot. Woo, that was hot. That was hot. That was hot. That was hot. Um, Let's see. Shaq Harrison. This gets into a lot of the Julian Fleming discussion we just had. Harrison Shaq. Love Shaq. Is Brian Hartline the best recruiter on the staff? He may have brought in two of the highest rated receivers in school history if he lands Julian Fleming. Um, I think Ryan Day might be the best recruiter on staff because Ryan Day is the one who really landed with some – actually some help from Zach Smith. But Ryan Day is really who landed Garrett Wilson, did that work. Um, And I think Ryan Day proved himself as a really good recruiter. Among the current assistants, as much as we love Brian Hartline, let's not forget Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson is the best recruiter on this staff. You see the guy who goes in and closes at the end. Do you know how these, all all these, like, why Ohio State has five stars on the defensive line? Because Larry Johnson brings them here. So, like, Chase Young, why is he here? Zach Harrison, who closed the deal? Tyreek Smith, what do you think? That's Larry Johnson. So, I'm writing a story for Thursday about how great a job Brian Hartline has done. Larry Johnson is still the man. Larry Johnson is the guy to close in the. Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. And he is the guy to close on the defensive line. And so I think Brian Hartline is the best offensive recruiter on the staff right now among position coaches. But I think if I'm ranking one through nine, one through nine right now, recruiting, I'm going Larry Johnson one. I'm going Brian Hartline two. And I'm probably going Tony Alford three right now as it stands. Um, who's going to emerge from the tight end group? Jay Sat 5 I know you like the talent of that position, but I see major flaws in each player. I think it's a good point, Jay Sat. I think there are flaws, but I think combined, they check all the boxes. I think Farrell's a really good blocker. I think Ruckert's, Luke Farrell, number 89, really good blocker. So if you need a tight end at the goal line, that's your guy. Jeremy Ruckert, really good receiver. I think we've talked about that. Using him as a stand-up tight end and the slot, some um, a new kind of H-back, not just a hand-on-the-ground tight end. And then I think Rashad Berry is both. I think Raj- Rashad Berry is a good enough blocker that if you want to put two block- blocking tight ends in the game in short yardage, you can do it because you can do it with Luke Farrell and Rashad Berry. And then if you want two receiving threat tight ends on the field at the same time, you can do it with Jeremy Ruckert, and Rashad Berry. Now Luke Farrell can also catch. So when you say you see major flaws with each player, I mean, it's hard to be a perfectly well-rounded tight end, Jay Sat. So I think major is a wrong word there. And I'm not even sure flaws is the right word, because I think that group is as deep and as talented as any individual group on the roster. It's one position. You've got three guys you trust, and Jake Hausman's hanging out in there too. They're just different. So we have to see how good Ruckert can be. And I think someone asked the other week, why haven't they heard about Ruckert? It's because no one, you know, there's just not a lot of chatter about tight ends. There's more chattering about J.K. Dobbins and Garrett Wilson and Austin Mack and offensive guys like that. But I've written and I talked about it in the spring. Ruckert's going to be a big part of this offense. But if you didn't have a tight end that you could believe in as a blocker in short yardage for Justin Fields or J.K. Dobbins to get behind if they want to run on the edge, that'd be a problem. If you didn't have Luke Farrell on the roster, that'd be a problem. If you didn't have Jeremy Ruckert on the roster, that would be a problem. And if you didn't have Rashad Berry, who can go both ways, has been dynamic in the open field, he can be your second receiving threat or your second blocking threat, that'd be a problem. Because at the moment, and maybe Ruckert will get there, but if you're going to be power, and they go three tight ends sometimes, and we saw Ruckert blocking, I think, in some goal line last year. But if you really want to go power and put two tight ends in, I'm not sure Ruckert's there as a blocker. And if you really want to have two really dangerous receiving threats, I'm not sure Farrell's dangerous. He can catch. I'm not sure he's dangerous. So JSAT, I just I you 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 acknowledge here that I, I say I like the talent. Again, I'm not alone. I don't everybody thinks this stuff. I think they're good at tight end. But I would not I don't see the same kind of flaws. Because you're just to say we have three complete tight ends is not gonna happen. But to say that we have three tight ends who each have different skill sets to complement each other. And give us a well-rounded tight end group. I think that's all you can ask for. All right. Let's go to Chris McKee. Doesn't have a question. But he says, I think you are wrong on Urban not being a recruiting bonus. Him being able to pop in Day's office, put his arm around the kid, smile, look a kid in the eye, and talk to him about being a Buckeye is only a plus. Um, So let me see how to address this. Um, It's a plus for Ryan Day. So... I guess, I guess if the question is, would you rather have no Urban or have Urban? Would you rather have Urban be the coach of USC or have Urban around to do that? You'd take Urban around to do that. But what I'm saying is, if you're going, I'm just telling you, if you're going against Clemson and Alabama, and a kid is going in the office to be wowed by Saban and wowed by Dabo, you can't combat Dabo and Saban with Urban. Because if a kid says, well, I met Urban Meyer, well, Nick Saban can say, well, you met me and I'm the coach. That is my primary observation of that, of of in the comparisons across top programs, you can't have your ace in the hole be the former coach. Your ace in the hole has to be the current coach because all the other current coaches are going to point that out. And and I was talking to somebody who had made a point that, that in this world where so many people care about. How can you help my son after football? Which really matters, that Urban had all these connections in college football and had Phil Knight on his cell phone and had had just been around the game and, and was a big swinger, right? Just knew everybody and could say, hey, I can get, the, I can get you an internship here because I've got that CEO's cell phone in my phone, right? I had that number. Boom, here we go. You know, Ryan Day, I just don't think is there yet. Now, they still have this Real Life Wednesdays and they still have connections. and They're still Ohio State. But you just, it's just experience and being around. And Urban says, I met this guy back then. I knew this. It's just not the same. And so I, I understand what you're saying, Chris. And if you want to disagree with me, I, that's, that's fine. I think you can believe that Urban somehow is a plus. But it's just like, you know, Gene Smith is not going to close anybody. Yeah, it helps. And Urban Myers is obviously going to be a better closer than Gene Smith. But he can't be a better closer than Ryan Day. That's my main point. Urban Meyer cannot be a better closer for Ohio State than Ryan Day, or in the end, that's going to get you. Hope, who looks like she is new to the question-asking business, Hope LTR, I don't recognize that name, uh, and we welcome Hope as a new question-asker on Buckeye Talk. I live in Michigan, and people give me a hard time for being a Buckeye fan. Um, Wow, I have been physically grabbed and screamed at in public for it. Do you have any facts I can use to shut people up Quicker than a 10-minute conversation. Sorry if this wasn't the type of question that you're looking for. So, uh, yeah, I mean, seven in a row is pretty good. Um, that's the main thing for Ohio State, seven in a row. And what's the overall thing? And 14 of 15. And then that the, that the, the, the one Michigan win was in 2011 when Ohio State was a mess. Really... In, on equal footing, Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio State on the football field on equal footing when Ohio State wasn't blowing up uh, since 2003. So that's the main thing, um, that Ohio State won a national championship um, twice since Michigan won its last national championship in 1997. And I think you can, you can make an argument to a Michigan fan and say there's just Michigan is, not, is no longer set up. To win a national title, and that applies to a lot of schools, I think, in the north, and that we've talked about. Ohio State's the exception. I think that certainly is a way um, to go at Michigan, um, and uh, and then I think you could, I mean, to go to go to a place that uh, that Ohio State. And we've talked about this. That Ohio State's been indestructible, and Michigan, not that long ago, you know, was an under five hundred team, and, and and Ohio State is just so far removed from that. Um, that, uh, you know, I think you can ask him about Rich Rod going three and nine and, and make the point that, uh, you know, that is not, uh, that is not something that an Ohio state football fan, um, would be able to relate to. So seven to no, 14 out of 15 should probably get it done. But then I guess on the national, on the national stage, you know, you could just sort of go at Michigan for trying to be irrelevant. So that's not normally what I do. I'm not here to bash Michigan. I think Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. I think Michigan's a good program. Um, But Hope's asking for help. So that's where I would go, Hope. That's where I would hope. Where we go. Jesse Bowden, M House J21. You felt there's a chance for two to three losses this year. If Urban was still coaching, would you feel the same? I would. I would. And I think that's a great question to ask, Jesse. And I think I've tried to make that point along the way. But just that at some point, they've won so many close games that something's going to turn against you. And I think with a new offensive line, you lost your three most veteran receivers, And you're playing a quarterback who's new to the system, whether he's new to the Ryan Day system or the Urban Meyer system, um, that's an issue. And that, you know, I I, I almost think in a way, right? So if Urban was still here, then you're maybe playing the Martell quarterback system. And I think that might have been safer because you go back to relying on the run so much that I think maybe – does this make sense? If Tate Martell and Urban Meyer were the quarterback coach combo right now, I think you would have less of a chance of three losses, but you also might have less of a chance at zero losses. That there's more boomer bust with Ryan Day, Justin Fields, mostly because of Justin Fields right now. And just the idea of like would would Justin Fields be here for the if Urban Meyer was still here? Maybe. So if you want to play that card and pretend it's Fields and Meyer, that's fine. But the, the, the main question is about Urban. Yes, I would still feel that because it's related to a new quarterback. And I had 100% confidence in Dwayne Haskins as a first-year quarterback. And I don't have that in Justin Fields just because he hasn't been here. And I wouldn't have had that to the same degree with Tate Martell. I would not have had the Haskins confidence in Martell because he can't throw it like Haskins. So I was not – I was 0% worried about a new quarterback last year. I think that's where the worry is this year. So I would. I would think, yes, Urban could go 9-3 and three and people would say, well, here's Urban. He's not going to go 9-3. and three. And so then that's the only part where I think the chances increase of having three losses because the young quarterback is the main thing and then maybe like the defensive uncertainty that you think it should be better but you're not sure. Urban brought – the idea that when it's tight, when it's close, you'll find a way because he did it his whole career. Whole career, Mark Roberts, I swear we're going to get to an Urban Winning Close Games podcast as per your suggestion. We're going to get to that eventually, maybe next week. So we've now added the young quarterback and we've taken away the Urban Meyer, whatever it is, ability to make Ohio State win close games at the end through motivation, through training, whatever. So that's why I think you're slightly increased increasing the chances of a three-loss season. But it still would have been there with Urban. So that's my main point. My main point is is that young quarterback stuff, Jesse, and also just the ball eventually bouncing against you and what I've emphasized with what I think is a sneaky, tough schedule. Maybe not even sneaky, maybe just tough. Northwestern Wisconsin-Nebraska on the other side, Michigan-Penn State, Michigan State on this side. I just think that this kind of season is just setting up that way no matter who was the coach. So, yeah, I would have been saying a lot of the same things, Jesse, a lot of the same things. 80% as much thought with Urban about a possible three-loss season. There's 20% more with Jay, Day because you've lost the Urban Meyer late-game, close-game edge. Michael Walter, how did Trussell find a better athlete in Ted Ginn Jr. than Urban ever did at Ohio State? No one was on his level. Isn't Justin Fields the quarterback? Urban always wanted, but never was able to coach. or are fine. So um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question. I hadn't really investigated it before. You're getting it live. You're getting the live juice right now. Like, is Braxton Miller not as good of an athlete as Ted Ginn Jr.? He's a, a different kind of athlete. But listen... Ted Ginn Jr. being from Cleveland and Ted Ginn Sr. being the loyal um, guy, kind of guy who's loyal to Ohio that he was. I mean, Ted Ginn Jr. was going to go to Ohio State no matter who the coach was. So, like, I guess you can give Trestle for it, give Trestle credit for it, and you should because, you you know, nothing's guaranteed. But Urban would have gotten him too. And Ted Ginn Sr. and Urban weren't nearly as tight as Trestle and Ted Ginn Sr. Because Trestle and Ted Ginn Sr. were like brothers. Um, and it wasn't that way with Urban. Definitely not that way with Urban. But yet Ted had a belief in, in making Ohio better. And he believed you could make Ohio better by keeping the best athletes in Ohio. So you look at Braxton Miller. I mean, I don't know. You look at, at, at Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or, or Chase Young. Or Are those guys not as good of athletes? Jeffrey Okuda? Aren't, aren't they as good of an athlete? Z- Ezekiel Elliott? as Ted Ginn, not as fast, not as fast in straight line speed, but I guess I would, I would quibble with the question. Um, you know, Urban never quite got a, got a, a, a Percy Harvin, that if Ted Ginn Jr. maybe is the, the defining athlete of the Trestle era, Percy Harvin, Harvin was the defining athlete of the Urban era. Um, and, you know, Paris Campbell is an exceptional athlete, but again, he's a Northeast Ohio kid. So, you know, it's, it's Kind of luck of the draw where guys are born. Sometimes there are more great athletes in the South right now, just the way that they play longer spring foot. play spring football and they just have a chance to develop more. But I guess I would I would quibble with it a little bit. Uh, Michael Walter again isn't Justin Fields the quarterback Urban always wanted but never was able to coach or find. Yeah, probably he probably is. He's probably you know the Justin's a little more... It's like again the thing we've talked about with Justin's. He came here to play for Ryan Day, but he's actually kind of probably more of an Urban quarterback. But would he have come like? If Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, maybe he'd still be here because he'd be playing, you know, under Ryan Day still. But he wants to play in a Ryan Day throwing offense, even though he is more of some of the Urban run skills. Um, But I think Justin Fields would have probably been the best package of run-throw skills that Urban ever coached. Other than Cam, maybe he's the second coming of Cam Newton that Urban really didn't get because Cam left Florida before Urban really got a chance to play him. But Justin is, is a better thrower than Tim Tebow. I think he's a better runner than Alex Smith. He's a better thrower than Braxton Miller. He's a better overall talent than JT Barrett. Uh, so I think in a lot of ways it's just a kind of a an ironic thing how this works out that Justin Fields is here for Ryan Day, but in a lot of ways he would have been perfect for Urban. Alan Kitchen. Uh, can I resurrect my previous question about the chances to win or lose their big 2019 games? Will that be covered by the aforementioned schedule podcast? Um, we'll wait, Alan. We'll wait. We'll wait. Uh, I I promise we'll do it. I promise we'll do it, but we will, when we're going to dive really in, we'll, we'll we'll get to the schedule. My man, a kitchen 87. Love him. Dave Fitzgerald, too. Buckeye Fitzy with Jim Delaney retiring. How likely will it be for the Big Ten to hire a commission that really shakes things up with expansion, et cetera? Here's the thing, Buckeye Fitzy. Uh, Jim Delaney was as progressive as any commissioner around. So I don't know that you could shake it up more than than Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney invented the idea of a conference network, which has now been copied by everybody. Copied by the SEC, copied by the ACC, copied by the big – by the – the Pac-12, all less successfully than the Big Ten Network. And the Big Ten Network was mocked in a lot of places when it started, including by me. It has been a phenomenal financial success for the Big Ten. The idea of owning and controlling your own games and not farming anything, out, everything out. They still farm out the big stuff, the ESPN. Um, they're now a partner with Fox and through the Big Ten Network. Um, but to, to decide that we're not going to let ESPN control everything – that was shaking it up, Buckeye Fitzy. That was shaking it up to an incredible degree. And when you think about expansion, and we know all the Rutgers and Maryland jokes, and I've made as many as any as anybody, and we Nebraska was a good addition. I don't think anybody would argue with Nebraska. But to do it, to have Penn State come into this league and then Nebraska and then Maryland and Rutgers, when you look at what everybody else did expansion-wise, the way uh, Texas and the Big 12 wound up uh, drowning, drowning, desperate for people, couldn't figure it out. Um, That the SEC wound up with Texas A&M and Missouri. I mean, is that, is anybody jealous of that? That the Pac-12 wound up getting Colorado and Utah. Like, are are you jealous of that? The Big Ten did as well on expansion. I I don't think they should have taken Rutgers. But all the money is coming out right now that USA Today does all these financial reports that they get every year. The Big Ten is paying out more money to its schools than any other conference, and it's not close. It's not close. And there's one reason for that, and it's Jim Delaney. And he's. we always talk about ru- ruthlessness here, right? Jim Delaney's ruthless. I disagree with a million things that he did. But if we're talking about shaking things up, it's already been shooken, Fitzy. It's been shaken. So, I think the next commissioner is going to be – the main thing for the next commissioner of the Big Ten is, is navigating the waters of amateurism. <clears throat> and Jim Delaney was very clunky and heavy-handed and ham-handed with that. And insulting when he acted like the Big Ten, which he just made all this money for, was going to go to a Division Three model before it would pay players. Insulting. The most insulting thing he ever said. Unconscionable for him to suggest that as some kind of negotiating ploy against amateur teenagers – when you have more money than you know what to do with. Unconscionable. We'll never live that down. will forever be part of his bio and should be. And it was right up high when I wrote my story about him announcing his retirement. That is the next test. How will you lead your conference through evolving amateurism? So I think you're actually looking for a steady hand. Because here's the thing. Jim Delaney actively shook things up. He created a network. He expanded with three teams. Now, college sports, is, is this is going to be less about you doing the shaking as a commissioner and as a conference and more about the amateur athlete movement shaking you. And so I think they will want a steady hand. They will want a negotiator. They will want somebody who can, can handle that negotiation uh, more tactfully than Jim Delaney. But Jim Delaney, in a lot of ways, was a bully. He would do whatever he thought was best for the Big Ten. He held up the playoff for many years because he never wanted to give up the Rose Bowl for the Big Ten. He put the kibosh in the playoff. It's going to be about we have to expand the playoff. How are we going to do it? So I don't think you're looking for someone to shake it up. I think you're looking for someone to calmly steer the Big Ten through what is to come. Because actually, when it comes to revolutionizing college sports, Jim Delaney did it as much as anyone. What are the chances we lose Gene Smith if he moves up to take the Jim Delaney spot? A lot of, a lot of Jim Delaney questions this week. Greg C7-4. There was a time when I thought uh, Gene was maybe going to be in the mix for something like that. I do think his name, I'm not an expert on this. His name just doesn't come up. The guy who comes up internally in the Big Ten is Jim Phillips, Northwestern AD. He jumps to the top of every list. And Mark Silverman, who uh, was formerly the head of the Big Ten Network, now is the head of Fox Sports. He's at the the top of everybody's lists. So it's not going to be Gene. And I do think some of the things that happened at Ohio State, and there are plenty of people who think that Gene Smith should not be Ohio State's athletic director anymore. I think Gene has survived those. Uh, Whether he should have or not, I think you could have a variety of opinions on that. I am not of the opinion that Gene Smith had to go and should have gone. Has he been perfect as the athletic director? No. Has he... um, done good things in several ways for the Ohio State Athletic Department? Yes. Has he made mistakes? uh, Undoubtedly, he's made mistakes. Um, But I don't think that's the issue. I think Gene's going to retire as Ohio State Athletic Director. I think that will be his last major job. Um, And I think the TV guy might get the Big Ten job because so much of this... Mark Silverman is more of a steady hand guy. And um, I just think that's where this is going to go. It's a good question, and it's one I really had for a long time because Gene was on an upward path, and Gene runs in those circles as respected, I think, in those athletic director kind of circles. But I just don't think where that's going to head. Brock Doctor, will Ryan Day's offense involve the tight end more and minimize jet sweeps and reception from the slot? Um, As we sort of talked about Brock a little bit, I think it's going to be more about the, the tight end sometimes being the slot. I think we might see less of the jet sweep. I think Ryan Day is more interested in motion down the field than motion in the backfield. Um, and as an, as he wants to run NFL plays from college sets, you're not you're just not running a lot of jet sweeps in the NFL. You're running a lot of mesh routes. You're running guys crossing three and five and seven yards down the field. So I think you're going to see that. But I do think you're not going to see – I think the, the, the run threat – and we saw it. We, were, we waited for Paris Campbell to be a run threat. He, he, he wasn't. They'd moved away from the jet sweeps just with Ryan Day as the offensive coordinator. <clears throat> so I do think the jet sweep might be dead. I take that back. There's a f- particular formation where they're going to hit it. But when they hit that jet sweep sweep now, it's going to be as a surprise. I think we're going to see more that the jet sweep is almost like a trick play and not a standard part of the offense. But what I think will be a standard part of the offense is the tight end lining up as the slot. So more tight ends with the slot, less jet sweeps. So fewer receptions from from the K.J. Hills of the world, fewer receptions from K.J. Hill, no. More receptions from tight ends like Jeremy Ruckert in the slot, yes. Fewer run looks from K.J. Hill or Paris Campbell or Jalen Gill from the slot, definitely yes. That's my view on that. Brian. Pilot Walt, 46, with Urban leaving, has the prestige of the conference diminished? Feels like Michigan and Penn State aren't recruiting as well this year. Urban elevated the Big Ten recruiting-wise. Could his departure have the reverse effect? Could It could benefit Ohio State because they have a track record of NFL development. It's a really interesting question. Urban was a superstar. Urban was a rock star. Um, and, if, and if Dabo is the rock star of the ACC and Nick Saban is the rock star of the SEC and Lincoln Riley is the rock star of the Big 12 – um, the Pac-12, Chris Peterson's a good coach. He's not a rock star. If Chip Kelly used to be the rock star of the Pac-12, and Mario Cristobal's a good young coach at Oregon, he's not a rock star. The Pac-12 doesn't have a rock star right now. Chip Kelly's at UCLA, but the shine is off that a little bit. It's not Clay Helton. It's not Herm Edwards. Um, there is no rock star in the Pac-12 right now. And there's not one in the Big Ten. Like Jim Harbaugh is, but he's not, because he's not. he's just not at that level. Jim Harbaugh coming in was at the Dabo, Saban, Lincoln-Riley level that they're at now. When Jim Harbaugh got here as a guy who'd been in a Super Bowl, he was at that level. He's not there right now. James Franklin's not there. It's going to be the young coaches. Can Jeff Brom get there at Purdue? Can Scott Frost get there at Nebraska? Um, Could Mike Loxley get there at Maryland? Um, D'Antonio's not that. Could Ryan Day get there as a young coach? Could he get to that point? But I think when you talk rock stars right now, and that Urban was one of them, and we're talking about prestige, Brian. um, I guess Kirby Smart's there. And that's like, again, it's the, well, okay, it's the four best programs to the four rock stars. But Ohio State was in that mix. We talked about that. Five top programs. Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. I think maybe now... Right now, this very second, are you sure Ohio State's in that top tier? I don't know. Why? Because your rock star coach is gone. I don't think Kirby's quite a rock star yet, but I think Saban, Dabo, Lincoln, Riley are your rock stars. Ryan Day's not there. And so, yeah, I think the prestige has taken a hit. In terms of like the average college football fan saying, hey, I'm going to watch that game, Urban Meyer, blah, blah, blah. That's not there as much right now. And um, Ryan Day, I think in recruiting, Um, can keep that up. He's done that very well so far. And I think I've said in the past, I don't think you can expect the same level, maybe close. But right now, it's really good. But in terms of prestige, there's no way that Ryan Day, having never been a full-time head coach, can have Urban's prestige. And they're clearly, with Harbaugh not living up to it at that level, there is nobody in the Big Ten that can meet that level of prestige. Will it hurt the Big Ten? I don't know that it will hurt the Big Ten. I think it makes them a little harder sell um, for e- for an ESPN commercial, right? If you're making an ESPN commercial right now about the Big Ten, who's the number one guy you put in it? It might be a Brutus. It would have been Urban for sure. Maybe it's Brutus right now. So I think from that standpoint, I think you may have a good point, Brian. Mountain Hawk 26, JP 8. It's at Mountain Hawk 26, Mountain Hawk 26, and then the little thing is JP 8. Is it just me, or can you make an argument that Urban pulled a Dean Smith with the 2015 team? All that talent, and he ran the equivalent of a four corners offense with Michael Jordan on the, cor- on the court. Um, so listen, I don't think, I mean, I, I just have a very real, weirdly specific memory of after one of the home games that year, talking with Taylor Decker. At one of the little side tables in the interview room, and just like having the conversation of like, Ohio State won, but yet like it wasn't good enough, and and they pushed back a lot that year early in the season, as their offense wasn't clicking against like, well we're winning, aren't we? Why isn't it good enough? And it just it wasn't good enough, and there's two reasons why. One is because you could see the Michigan State kind of loss coming, because this wasn't an offense hitting on all cylinders, and the second thing is Ohio State had built up no benefit of the doubt by the time they got to the Michigan State loss. And that is a reality. It's the number one discussion point that coaches and players who say, in this era of college football, if you say, well, we won, didn't we? That is not enough. You are putting up style points every week. And what you are doing is building up the benefit of the doubt for the loss that's coming. Because in the old era, you had to go undefeated, basically. It didn't matter that much what you looked like, because if you lost, you were done. Two-team playoff. Now in a four-team playoff, you're not getting four undefeated teams in. So it's the best of the one-loss teams. How do you prove you're the best? You look great every week. That team did not look great every week. So, yes. I mean, yes. I mean, we can talk about it every week if you want to. It's Urban's greatest failure. To not get back to the playoff with the 2015 team is the number one shortcoming, regret, failure, however you want to couch it of a remarkable coaching career, of a three-national championship coaching career, of a career where he lost nine games in seven years at Ohio State. You will never forget the 2015 team not living up to their potential. So were they doing it because they were trying to stall, running a four-quarters offense with Michael Jordan? No. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have the right play callers. Again, if you put Tom Herman, if Tom Herman stays... For 2015, I think Ohio State maybe wins the national title. But they weren't trying to stall. They weren't trying to slow it down. They just couldn't figure out how to speed it back up. They couldn't figure out how to take an offense that had Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, JT Barrett, Cardale Jones, Jalen Marshall, Nick Vanette, everybody else. They couldn't figure out how to make that offense awesome. And it's hard to believe. And that's why we'll never forget it. More likely, Ohio State loses a non-conference game or Ohio State goes 12-0. Tyler Shoemaker, always sticking it to me with these tough questions. Ooh. Man. Man. Um, let me think about this. I think it's possible they're not going to lose to Florida Atlantic, and they're not going to lose to Miami of Ohio. So it's like, what's more likely, lose to Cincinnati or go 12-0? and 0? I guess I would say go 12-0. and 0. But I also think they could lose to Cincinnati. So it's close. I'd say it's really close. Because I don't think either is going to happen. You know what? I guess I'm going to change my answer. I think it's more likely they lose to Cincinnati. I just don't think with a young quarterback like this and a first-year coach, you're going to get through unscathed. I mean, Urban was undefeated in the regular season his first two years in 12 and 13. 14, 15, 16, 17, Ohio State and Urban Meyer lost a regular season game every year. Ryan Day is not going to do that with the first-year starting quarterback and four new starters in the offensive line. I just think 12-0 and 0 is almost like off the table. And again, play this back to me. Play this back to me like when I'm wrong. it'll be great. We'll do a whole podcast about how Doug was wrong about 12 and0. and I've thought about the fact I think we might do a 12 and0 podcast for all for everybody who just wants to have a good feel, just a good vibe maybe in July before big 10 meetings, we'll just do why Ohio State could go 12 and0, and we'll just we'll forget about everything that could go wrong, and we'll just say everything that could go right. But I'm just telling you, do you ever do you see how many teams go 12 and0 each year? Like one. So is uh, the team with Ryan Day and Justin Field, they're going to be like the one team to go undefeated this year? Playing like six ranked teams? It's like, I just don't see it happening. So I'll say Cincinnati. But Luke Fickle wanted this job. It's Luke Fickle's dream job. Luke Fickle's got it going at Cincinnati a little bit now. He knows what's up with that program. You know, Cincinnati's almost beaten Ohio State in the past. So like the idea of a solid... Great, but I think borderline maybe preseason top 25 team in Cincinnati. The idea that borderline top 25 team beating Ohio State in week two, like, yeah, that's possible. That's more possible than 12-0. I'm not going to pick Ohio State to lose to Cincinnati, I don't think. But could it happen? Yeah, it could happen. But good question. Buckeye tied 23. Scott Duda, best nickname of a Buckeye since you've covered the team. Um... I tried to do a thing. <laughs> I don't have a real answer. But when the year that I thought it, or there was a time when it was like Dante Booker and Jerome Baker were both going to be the, like the two starting outside linebackers. Well, that didn't really ever work out then because then like Booker got hurt and that's how Baker got in. But in that linebacker group, I wanted to nickname Rayquan McMillan, the candlestick maker, which would be like he hits you so hard That like he stands you up straight and like turns you into a candlestick. Like that kind of thing. Maybe like a running back's coming and he's like kind of like with like low, good, low shoulder pads and like good leverage. And then like Raekwon McMillan sticks him and stands the guy up because it would be the booker, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Like the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. So if I could have successfully nicknamed Raekwon McMillan the candlestick maker... That would have been it, but I couldn't do it. I still would love to apply a nickname to somebody at some point. Um, I think I told, I think I made a an old mother Hubbard joke to Sam Hubbard one time. He was going to like punch me in the face. Not really. He just looked at me weird. Like, why are you such a lame old man? Kind of like how my daughter looks at me. Um, probably El Guapo, right? I think 11 Warriors kind of put that one on Carlos Hyde. The handsome one, right? Is that what it means? And then, it, like, it carried through, like, to the NFL, and he calls himself that. If you give somebody a nickname that they then adopt as their nickname, like, you're doing it right. So, I think I'll go with El Guapo, Christopher King, and uh, and uh, and uh, Scott Duda bringing it with the questions. We're not going to get to to all of them from those guys, though. Um, all right, let's try this one. All right, might end with this one. This is a good one. Maybe I'll do a couple more after, but we'll see. Uh, Zachary Pop. I think he sent the same one last week, and I pushed it off, so he sent it again. Thanks, Zachary. I appreciate you doing that, because I was going to go find it. Pop, ZJ4478. He's got these over-unders for me. I'm going to do all but one. One of them was 15 team interceptions. I think there's so much luck to that, and there's so much luck to turnovers and and a ball hitch in the hands, or you can't tip passes and, like, you could be a great defensive team that's like great at defending the pass, and the result is like nobody throws it. Sometimes, like you, someone I was talking to someone the other day about, like, sometimes if you have a lot of interceptions, it's because teams keep throwing at you because they don't think you're a very good defender. So you have more chances. If you have no interceptions, it might be because no one ever throws on your side of the field. So I'm not going to get into that, but we'll do see the individual ones. Chase Young, 15 sacks, over under. So the team record is 14 in a season um, by Mike Vrabel, and, like, we've sort of – I've been part of or been around um, predicting that record to fall at various times um, in recent years, and it hasn't fallen. I I take that back. It's not Mike Vrabel. I always get confused. Mike Vrabel has the career record with 36x. Vernon Golston has a single-season one with 14. Joey Bosa had 13.5 in 2014. Vrabel had 13 in 1995. So Vernon Golston has a single season record with 14. That's a lot. And again, like, I think Chase Young is really good, and they're going to block him. And the other thing is, in this world, teams get rid of the ball so fast. They just don't give elite pass rushers the chance to get sacks. Because if they know you're good, they know you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up their offense. So they just get rid of it. And, and it's like pressure is the deal. Pressure, which leads to bad throws, which leads to you know, punts, because on third and seven you forced a guy to get rid of it. Just nobody lets nobody holds on to it long enough to actually let you get the sack. So I think like Chase Young could have nine sacks and have like an all American year. But I just don't think to, to be dancing in that realm of sacks, I think, is not where it's gonna be. J.K. Dobbins, 1,600 rushing yards. This is a good one, and I'm actually going to go over uh, J.K. Dobbins, 1,600, because I know they're going to run it. Excuse me. I know they're going to throw it, and everybody wants them to throw it, and I know Justin Fields is going to run it, and we're going to get to that next. But 1,600, Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins combined for 2,000 last year, and J.K. is going to get most of that himself. Now, they ran it like 400 times. He's not going to get 400 carries. But there is not going to be a second running back who gets meaningful – Rushing attempts, I don't think. Um, so I think it's going to be J.K., and I think he's going to get it. So 1,600 is is not crazy at all. Um, let me look at the where that would rank. If he got 1,600 um, all-time in Ohio State history, that would put him seventh. Eddie George, Ezekiel Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott, Keith Byers, Archie Griffin, Beanie Wells had 1,609 in 2007. So if J.K. Dobbins gets 1,600, he's seventh all-time. I think that's very reasonable. So yeah, I'm going to go over 1,600 for J.K. And I'm also going to go over the next one, which is Justin Fields' 600 rush yards. I think we worked it out the other week. Um, I just think he's over that. I, I think he's, like, in the 800 range, probably. Or whatever number I said before, it's like, if you thought this and this times, if you think he's going to carry it 10 times a game, and 10 times a game is 120, you know, in a regular season is 120 carries, and for the average, is five yards a carry, that's 600. So, yeah, I'm definitely over I think that's the surest one. The surest over on this list is Justin Fields over 600. Justin Fields, 4,000 passing yards, I'm under. Uh... Before Dwayne smashed the record last year, the high for Ohio State was like 3,300. <clears throat> and so 4,000 is a lot. So I, I'm, I'm more in the range of Justin Fields being maybe like 3,600, 3,700 throwing and 1,000 rushing, which would be a heck of a productive year. But I'm under 4,000 pretty convincingly. K.J. Hill, a 1,000 receiving yards, I'm under uh, KJ Hill two years ago led this team in receptions and was second in receiving yards with like 570. Um, I think it's I think it's more like that last year. Paris Campbell was over a thousand yards. Um, K.J. had 885, but again, that's in a crazy, crazy passing system, and I just don't think this is going to be a crazy, crazy passing system. So I don't know that anybody gets a 1,000 yards for this Ohio State receiving unit this year because it's not going to be Dwayne-like, and they're also going to spread it out. So I will say the next over-under is Garrett Wilson, 600 receiving yards. I'll go over 600 for Garrett Wilson as a freshman, which would be really impressive. Last year, Terry McLaurin had 701, Johnny Dixon had 669. They had four guys over 600 last year. So do you think, do I think Garrett Wilson's going to be one of their four most productive receivers? I do. If you had to say right now who are their four most productive receivers, I'd probably say Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack. And I could put all four of them between 600 and 1,000. And I think that'd be a good, productive offense. So I don't know that we have a superstar breakout receiver, but I think we have a bunch of productive ones. And if Garrett Wilson gets more than 600 receiving yards as a freshman, that's a really good freshman year. I'll go over that pretty convincingly. 10.5 wins. Regular season, I'd go under that. I think I might go over because I think, like, I don't know if I'm going to predict him to go 9-3, and three. But I think they easily could go ten and two and win their bowl. And then you're eleven and two. Most of the time when you're talking wins, you're talking regular season. If we're talking regular season, ten point five wins out of twelve, I'm under. Big ten champ, I gotta think about. Because I've predicted stuff like this in the past where it's like, well everybody you know, there's like a three way tie at seven and two in the East, and how does a tiebreaker go? And then if it's Ohio State, can they beat Nebraska or Wisconsin or Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's almost a world – I'm not so sure there's a world where they couldn't go 9-3 and three in the regular season and win the Big Ten, as crazy as that sounds. But if you think there's a world where there's no perfect team in the East, it's deep, it's tough, you lose some West crossover games, and all of a sudden Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State are all 6-3, and three, I don't think that something like that's impossible. So I'll go over the 10.5, and I'm going to pass – on the big 10 championship thing for now. Um, because I got to think about it more. I don't want to be glib about it. Um, but that's where I am. All right. Gene Nilly, I'll give you one. Um, I'll give you one before we go. Cause I love you. Oh man. Oh, we're going to get into Justin Fields stuff later. Nikki unders, Gene Nilly asking some good Justin Fields question. Um, I'm gonna uh, let me get into some of this stuff later. There's a Kendall Milton question. Kendall Milton is making his official visit this weekend. I talked to his dad this week. Um, I think Ohio State's in good shape. I don't think anything is decided. I think they're open on stuff. They're a really smart family that's making it themselves very educated about this process. I think it helps that Ohio State's got the first official. They just did a swing through the SEC and hit Georgia, LSU, and Alabama and really got educated down there about what those programs can offer them. This family is being very proactive, very um, diligent about the recruiting process, and I think that helps Ohio State. Um and, and they're very interested in playing time, but it's not the thing they're most interested in. And a lot of stuff they're interested in fits with Ohio State. So I just think – I think I might have said that last week. We'll get into, into – into we'll get into some Kendall Milton stuff later on because I have a story I'm going to write about some of that stuff and we'll talk about it on the podcast. But uh, we'll finish with Gene Nilly. Um How much longer do you think – because it ties back to Julian Fleming. How much longer do you think Ryan Day can keep Brian Hartline at Ohio State if he keeps up the phenomenal recruiting and stellar coaching? Listen, uh, Brian Hartline doesn't have to do this. He's a millionaire several times over from his NFL career. He was also interested in the business world. When he came here and sort of slid in and and, and started helping out in the receiver room – he did not have to do that. And I mentioned that to him And I was talking to him. And he's like, well, I'm not going to just sit around. It's not like, oh, you have so much money, you're rich, you don't have to work. It's just what you want to choose to do with your life. Um, and he could have done a bunch of other things. But he chose to do this. And he chose to do it as alma mater. Coaching the position that he played here. And that he can't do that anywhere else. There's only one place in the world where Brian Hartline can coach the position he played at the school where he played. So I don't think Brian Hartline is in a rush to get out the door. So it is different than a regular coach. It is different than a normal coach who is not a millionaire from the NFL, who is just looking to move up. It is different. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just different for Brian Hartline than it is for Tony Alford, or it is for Al Washington, or it is for Jeff Halfley, or it is for Mike Yurcich. It's just different. So I don't know what Brian Hartline's going to do, but he's happy right now. And I don't think he wants to come to his alma mater to this position in a time of need. He's not even been a full-time head coach. He was filling in last year. He hasn't even coached a season knowing he's the actual coach. I think he wants to give this time to see how good he can be at this. I think he's curious about how good he can be about how much he can enjoy it. He has a young family. Coaching is a grind, but I think what makes it worth when you're a millionaire, what makes it the grind, what makes the grind worth it? Cuz you don't have to do it. What makes it worth it? Doing it at a place you love. Help makes it worth it. Help makes it worth it. So I don't – I just think – keep that in mind. The equation with Brian Hartline is different than with most coaches. Mike Vrabel, when he came here to coach as an alumni of Ohio State to coach with his friend Luke Fickle, was very happy here. But Mike Vrabel had a plan, and Mike Vrabel's plan was to be a head coach. And he believed his path to be a head coach was to go to the NFL with the Houston Texans. And guess what? He was right. Now, I don't know if Mike Vrabel wanted to be an NFL head coach or Ohio State's head coach. I think he would have taken either. But he was very comfortable being an NFL head coach. He's an NFL head coach right now. He made the right move. I I don't think Brian Hartline's there right now. I don't think Brian Hartline is saying to himself right now, how can I become an NFL head coach? I'm not even sure. I don't think he's thinking about that at all. And it's like a cliche. That's why coaches kind of say this stuff all the time. I think he's thinking about tomorrow. So, I don't think Ryan Day is going to have to work that hard to keep Brian Hartline because I think Brian Hartline is going to keep Brian Hartline here for some period of time. Now, if an NFL team wants him to go coach receiver, maybe he'll think about it, but I don't think that's on his agenda right now because he's thinking about his job differently because he's a Buckeye. We didn't get to everybody, we got to most everybody. We didn't get to the email questions this week. We always appreciate you guys sending those email questions along. Chip Munn, my guy, airline pilot, I'm going to fly with Chip someday, rallied the troops and got some five-star reviews for Buckeye Talk on iTunes, which is always appreciated. Knocked those one-stars further back in the row. So we appreciate Chip getting on top of that. If you guys want to go drop a review, five-stars, four, three, two, one, we'll take whatever you got. We got to hear the truth, baby. So we want those reviews on iTunes. Thanks for that. Project text, free trials ending at the end of the month. If you want to get in for a day, try it. But if not, keep it in mind. If you don't want to do it in June, maybe try it in June in the off season, See if it's worth it. Although I am going to go on vacation for a week, but I'll still try to do some stuff. Um, but maybe think about it for July. If you think, well, I don't want it in the off season, but in, the season's really going to start in July with Big Ten meetings. Maybe think about it for July. Really think about it for camp in August, or then really think about it for the season in September. So I get it's not for everybody. It's just it's it's not for everybody. If you don't want Ohio State News on your phone every day, then it's not for you. But it is for some of you. So if you've tried it, I appreciate it. I'm so thankful to everyone who tried the free trial. I'm super grateful to everyone who signed up at the beginning. I'm super grateful to everyone who tried the free trial and now came over and decided I'm going to continue with it and I'm going to pay. And I'm just grateful for everyone listening to this right now because, like I always say, You are why I have a job. So I hope you enjoyed the Julian Fleming stuff. Thanks again to Dan and Dave for the help on this. I got some plans for the next couple weeks. I definitely want to hit Urban as a late game, close game coach. We're going to dive into that. I know I've gotten some good response on people when I suggested the idea of, hey, maybe we'll break down a game in a podcast. I think we will try that this summer at some point. But we're going to have different things. We'll have we'll try to have somebody on here every week. I I have reached out to some people, some national college football writers. I'm always interested about we did the Big Ten, right? I want some national people. What do they think of Ohio State? I always think that's valuable. I've already reached out to try to get Phil Steele on again once his magazine comes out, because I know people love Phil. Everyone loves Phil. So we'll have some great guests ahead. We had great guests this week, and always thanks to you guys for listening. So I'm Doug Le Maurice. And that was Fuck I Talk.